In June 2016, Britain voted to leave the European Union. This decision defied the expectations of most supposed experts, yet Bible prophecy presaged the separation of Britain from a Europe that will at some point in the future be united economically and politically into a world superpower. In a previous sermon, I began an explanation of how Bible prophecy leads us to this conclusion. I explained that God and His promise to Abraham included the blessings of national power and greatness to His descendants who would be the recipients of the promised blessings God gave in His covenant with Abraham. I recounted how Isaac, Abraham's son, then Jacob, his grandson, were the recipients of the covenant promises from God of the birthright and blessings belonging to Abraham's descendants. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel by God, had 12 sons. All the tribes descended from Israel's sons were to be blessed as a result of the covenant promises, but the birthright promise to the firstborn was passed on to Joseph's descendants through his sons Ephraim and Manasseh. According to the blessing passed on to Joseph's descendants, they were in the latter days to receive unprecedented material blessings, including lands with climates favorable to agricultural production, mineral wealth, large populations, and power over their enemies. We read it in Genesis 49 where Jacob was pronouncing his blessing upon Joseph to occur at the end of the age or the latter days. In Genesis 19, beginning with verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. And this implies that, it, that Joseph would, in the latter days, become uh, uh, increased in population and would be, become a colonizing people. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. And this indicates that God would be helping the military forces of the people descended from Joseph in the latter days. And concerning the mighty God of Jacob, it goes on to say, from there is the shepherd the stone of Israel being in that reference, of course, to Jesus Christ. By the God of your Father who will help you and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, implying favorable climate, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, which would include mineral resources, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, implying a large and growing population. The blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head 
or uh, yeah, the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brethren. Now, the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh were both to share in these blessings, and they were both to be great nations in the latter days, but Ephraim was to be the greatest of the two. In Genesis 48, we read the blessing placed upon the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, and it says in verse 15 of Genesis 48, as Jacob or Israel was blessing Joseph, <clears throat> it says, <clears throat> excuse me, It says, He blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, the lads being the sons of Joseph, let my name be named upon them. The name of Israel was to be named upon them. In the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head referring to Manasseh. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also sh shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Now notice that Ephraim was set before Manasseh. And while Manasseh was to become a great nation, Ephraim was to become a company of nations. Because of their sins, the birthright blessing was withheld for seven times, or 2,520 years, as I explained in the previous sermon beginning in 731, or excuse me, 721 B.C. with the taking of the city of Samaria and the final overthrow of the ancient nation of Israel by the Assyrians. And God had warned the people of Israel in Leviticus 26, verse 24, if they refused to keep His commandments, He said, Then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. Now a time in the Bible can, depending on the context, refer to a year. A time is a year, and I won't go into all the proofs about that, but that is the case. And a prophetic year is 360 days. And on the, the day for a year basis, this period of punishment then would last for seven years of days, meaning 2,520 years. 
from 721 B.C. to 1800 A.D. is 2,520 years. And it was a, right around 1800 A.D. that things began to change for people in the British Isles, the British nation. It was about that time that Britain and America both began their meteoric rise to unprecedented national greatness. Now, the United States at that time was composed of 13 and a couple of more colonies that had been British colonies, so it was mostly people from England who had settled those colonies. They were peoples who had immigrated from England to the United uh, to what was uh, later the United States, but these two nations began uh, the, the the conditions in them began to improve and change dramatically and very rapidly, beginning around 1800 A.D. Britain first reached her pinnacle of power. Soon, her empire empire grew in the 19th century to include one quarter of the world's land surface. She dominated the world's oceans for most of the century with no serious rival. Britain became the possessor of most of the important sea gates of the world's oceans except for those that fell into the hands of the United States. To name a few of these Sea gates included the Suez Canal, Gibraltar, Malta, Singapore, and the Panama Canal, and a number of others besides those, as well as some important land gates passes through strategic passes through mountain areas and so forth, and control of certain land surfaces that were important to commerce and control of the sea lanes. The English language became the common language over much of the world for commerce, learning, and culture. Great Britain was by far the world's wealthiest nation throughout the 19th century, or at least most of it. London was the world's financial capital her people enjoyed the world's highest standard of living. Together, Britain and America led the world into the industrial age with the invention and development of the steam engine, the steamboat, the steam locomotive, the threshing machine, mechanical reapers, and many other innovations. Some of Britain's colonies soon became independent nations. But these nations were loyal, nevertheless, to the British crown. And so the empire became a commonwealth of nations, just as God had prophesied of the descendants of Ephraim that Ephraim would become a company of nations. And those included nations such as Canada, Australia, South Africa, and New Zealand, and others as well, but especially those nations who were 
populated largely by people of British descent. Meanwhile, during the 19th century, the United States burgeoned from 13 colonies on the east coast of North America to a nation spanning the continent. The United States reached her peak of national greatness and wealth later than Britain. By the early 20th century, the United States became the world's single wealthiest nation and the world's leader in industrial capacity. By the end of World War II, the United States was also the world's most powerful nation militarily. The choicest lands in the temperate zones of the globe were possessed by America and Great Britain or her colonies. The two nations have produced prodigious amounts of meat, wool, other fibers, grains, and other agricultural produce. America became the breadbasket for much of the world. And over the decades, produce from the United States has saved the lives of millions around the globe from the threat of starvation. And much of this, much of this produce was simply given to countries around the world by the United States in the interest of helping their people avoid starvation. America and Britain both have been a blessing in many ways to the nations of the world, although they're often castigated now for alleged injustices, but they have, in a general way, used their power in a benevolent way. And what other nations in history, for example, have rebuilt the countries of their enemies devastated by war, such as Germany and Japan after World War II. And it was America, to a very great extent, that provided the capital to rebuild those nations after the war. <clears throat> and America also helped other nations after uh, other wars. Over much of the past two centuries, Britain and America have also been dominant in terms of mineral wealth, including precious metals, oil, iron and steel, and other metals and key minerals. Together, the British Commonwealth and America dominated the world in terms of wealth, power, and influence for 200 years, approximately, fulfilling the ancient prophecies of national greatness passed on to the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh. However, God warned Israel that just as he had blessed her, he would also take away her blessings and replaced them with curses if they despised his laws and refused to keep them. In Leviticus 26, we read, beginning with verse 13, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the hands or the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. 
But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, waste and disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. So God warned that the people of Israel, and this would include certainly Britain and America along with others, he warned us that we would suffer various plagues, including terror attacks, which we are witnessing now in ways that we've never witnessed them before in our history, or to, to the same extent at least that we have experienced them in our history. And we're witnessing in one form or another now almost every week, if not every day, some sort of terrorist attack or other. We're warned here that we will eventually be defeated by our enemies because of our rebellion and rejection of God's laws. Both today, both Britain and America are in a state of decline. The prosperity of America is hanging by a thread. We were once the world's greatest creditor nation not so long ago. But now we are the world's greatest debtor nation. Our economy is in decline with nearly 95 million people in America out of, our, out of the workforce, and many of those because they cannot find work. Close to 50 million are on, our, are on food stamps. Britain has lost her most of her colonies. She's lost most of the sea gates that she once possessed. She is no longer the world uh, engine of finance and uh, no longer has the economic or military strength that she once had. As far as the United States is concerned, our national debt has soared out of control and we're facing national bankruptcy. Every year now, for decades, we've been running massive trade deficits with our trading partners. Much of our industrial base has been decimated by trade policies that have sent manufacturing jobs overseas. American companies have also outsourced many service jobs to other parts of the world. Our military power, not only in Britain, but also the United States, has been significantly weakened, partly as a result of our economic weakness, as well as deliberate policies of our leaders. Our nations no longer have the respect or influence we once had around the world. And this is just a preview of much worse problems to come if we do not repent. The Bible foretells a time of a great tribulation for the peoples of Israel. In Mark 13, verse 19, Jesus was speaking of the events leading up to His second coming. 
And he said in verse 19 of Mark 13, For in those days there will be tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, nor ever shall be. So this is to be a unique time in history of great tribulation. We read also in Jeremiah 30 and verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. So here are two times mentioned of which there will be no other time to compare with them. But in Jeremiah 30, it goes on to say, it is the time of Jacob's trouble. That is, the people of Israel. The tribulation is going to fall on the head primarily of the people of Israel, especially Britain and the United States, but it will not be limited to them. It goes on to say, though, in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, but he, that is Israel, shall be saved out of it. <clears throat> in Leviticus 26 again, in verse 25 goes on, God goes on warning what would happen if Israel despised his laws and rejected them. And he said, I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant because God had promised in this covenant these curses if Israel were, was not faithful. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. Going on in verse 33, he said, I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. So these are the warnings of God's word to us, the people of Israel, if we do not repent in time to avoid these calamities. But God here speaks of the enemies of Israel. Who are those enemies? Does the Bible give us any, any indication of who these enemies are that will destroy us and lead us into captivity. Us being Britain, as well as the other Israelite nations. In Psalm 83, in verse 1, we read, Psalm 83 and verse 1, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God, for behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagarites, Gebel, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria also has joined with them. 
they have helped the children of Lot. Now these people that are named here in this prophecy are near and Middle Eastern peoples among whom are many who are already bitterly hostile to Britain and the United States and for that matter, the Jewish people. But notice that Assyria is joined with them. Ancient Assyria attacked and conquered the ten-tribe nation of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, as I mentioned earlier. And God's word reveals that as in ancient times, Assyria will be foremost among the nations that will bring down Britain and America and carry the remnant of Israel's people into captivity. And there are many prophecies about this. And I will read a few of them, but there are a number of others that we will not specifically read. In Isaiah 10 and verse 5, we read, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation, and he's speaking here of the nation of Israel, and against the people of my wrath I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Yet he does not mean so, nor does his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off not a few nations. In Hosea 11 and verse 3, God is speaking to Israel and he uses specifically the name Ephraim. So it is concerning Ephraim or the people descended from the English-speaking people in Britain as well as others of the tribes of Israel because Ephraim was the leading tribe in the northern kingdom and often, or at least at times, the Bible speaks of the entire uh, kingdom of Israel, especially the northern ten tribes, by the name of the leading tribe, which was Ephraim. But he goes on to say, I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refused to repent. And the sword shall slash in his cities, devour his districts, and consume them because of their counsels. My people are bent on backsliding from me, though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. Going on in verse 10, they shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. Then his son shall come trembling from the west. Now this is speaking of a later time in the prophecy when God begins to deliver the people of Ephraim and Manasseh and the other tribes of Israel and says, His son shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt. 
like a dove from the land of Assyria. He will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. So this tells us a couple of the places to which the people of Israel will be carried captive. And notice that Assyria is mentioned here in this particular scripture along with Egypt. But it tells us in the first part of this prophecy that we read that the Assyrians will subjugate Ephraim along with other Israelite nations. When Israel comes out of captivity, then they will be captive many places, but among those places will be Assyria. But who is Assyria? If you look on a map, you probably, a, world, a modern world map, you probably won't find Assyria on the map, although there are people over in the Middle East who call themselves the Assyrians, and perhaps some of them are descended from the ancient Assyrians, but they're, they're a very small number of people and insignificant on the world scene. But these prophecies speak of a powerful nation that is referred to as Assyria, powerful enough to conquer the United States, powerful enough to conquer Britain, along with a number of other nations. Who is that? The Bible includes prophecies about many nations in the end time. Some of those nations are still known today by the names used in ancient times. Others are more commonly known by names other than the names used in Scripture. Prophecies in the Bible referring to Assyria in the end times are speaking of primarily Germany and Austria. Smith's Classical Dictionary, in its article on the Germans, states, and I'm, I'm quoting, there can be no doubt that they, this is speaking of the German-speaking people in, in Central Europe, there can be no doubt today that they migrated into Europe from the Caucasus and the countries around the Black and Caspian Seas. It's well established historically that waves of migration occurred over the centuries, especially after the 8th century B.C. and for hundreds of years thereafter, from Western Asia into and across Europe. The area is spoken of as the location from which the Germans migrated into Central Europe. In Smith's Classical Dictionary, the areas of the Caspian, around the Caspian and Black Seas and Caucasus are the, is the very area where the Assyrian nation dwelt in ancient times. That's where they were located. And after the collapse of the Assyrian Empire, they began to migrate westward into Central Europe. And actually, they had already established settlements there long before that time. 
There are many other pieces of evidence available that when put together leave no doubt that when the Bible speaks of Assyria in modern times, it is speaking of none other than the German-speaking nations of Central Europe. Zechariah speaks of a future captivity from which the tribes of Joseph and Judah will be delivered. In Zechariah 10 and verse 6, we read, I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside for I am the Lord their God and I will hear them. Going on in verse 8, it says, I will whistle for them and gather them for I will redeem them and they shall increase as they once increased. I will sow them among the peoples and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children and they shall return. I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no more room is found for them. So this is speaking of a captivity from which the people of Judah and Joseph will be delivered and brought back into the areas where they dwelt previously in Palestine. This prophecy was never fulfilled in ancient times. Israel was led into captivity, but they never returned in any significant way to the, to the land of, uh, of Palestine. A few of them returned for a short period, but for, for the most part, they remain, remained scattered for centuries. And today, in, in, a, in one sense, remain scattered because they dwell in various places around the globe. Zechariah wrote his prophecies concerning Ephraim and Assyria more than 200 years after Assyria had taken ancient Israel into captivity and more than 100 years after the collapse of the ancient Assyrian Empire. The prophecies of Zechariah concerning Ephraim and Assyria were not for ancient times, but for events that will occur near the end of this age. In fact, much of the book of Zechariah concerns prophecies that apply exclusively to the end of the age. Many of the other prophecies concerning Israel and Assyria, such as those in Isaiah and the 83rd Psalm and other places are dual, referring not only to ancient times, but also to events that will occur at the end of the current age. Isaiah 11 is one place where we find an end-time prophecy that speaks of the time immediately after the second coming of Christ. In Isaiah 11 and verse 11, it says, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time 
to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathras and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and he will gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Notice that in this prophecy, the first location to be mentioned from which Israel is to be gathered after Christ's return is Assyria or greater Germany. Since the end of World War II, Britain and the United States have maintained an alliance with Germany as a bulwark against the Soviet Union and possible Russian aggression. The United States and Britain have also encouraged the United States of Europe with Germany at its core to promote stability and stave off another war like the two world wars of the 20th century. So our nations have been looking to Germany, making alliances with Germany, giving Germany money to be friendly toward us. In Hosea 12 and verse 1, we read, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians and oil is carried to Egypt. Other prophecies talk about us buying lovers. Other nations giving them money to, to be friends and allies with us rather than looking to God to be our defender and protector. Now Britain, even though she has left the, or is preparing to leave the European Union, while Britain is leaving, she may nevertheless seek to maintain an alliance with the German-speaking nations. But in the end, those nations will make war on Britain according to Bible prophecy, and this time they will prevail, unlike the previous wars in which Britain prevailed. Britain and her allies, including the United States, because God was on her side. The next time, God is not going to be on the side of Great Britain and the United States, but on the side of her enemies, and at least for a while. <clears throat> Eventually, as we've already seen, God will relent and have mercy and deliver the remnant of Israel. In Daniel is a prophecy of a succession of Gentile, power, uh, Gentile powers that were to become militarily and politically dominant on the world scene over a period of millennia. Daniel interpreted... In Daniel chapter 2, a dream of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar of an image like a man with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron and feet, partly of iron and partly of clay. 
We read this in Daniel chapter 2, beginning with verse 40. And the fourth kingdom, and this image was representative of a series of Gentile kingdoms, the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And this is speaking of the Roman Empire, which crushed the remnants of the kingdoms that had preceded it and other kingdoms as well. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. Eventually the Roman Empire was split into two parts, the eastern and western parts of the Roman Empire, and its power was somewhat diluted. In verse 42, And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Now notice at the bottom, and this would imply in, 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 in the timeline, toward the end of this series of empires, there would be ten uh, kings, so to speak, involved with it. And they would be partly of iron and partly of clay. So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And as you saw, iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another. In other words, what he's talking about is diverse peoples joining together in this confederation. Just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, over the centuries, since the collapse of the ancient Roman Empire, there have been several attempts to resurrect the empire, and often it has been called the Holy Roman Empire. And in those various resurrections, diverse peoples in Europe have been brought together under one ruler, under the aegis of the Holy Roman Empire. But none of those empires have lasted. They've all collapsed because of, largely because of infighting among the various peoples and disputes within the empire itself. And so it will be at the end of the age. It says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. So this, this vision takes us right up to the time of Jesus Christ's return and right toward the end when Christ returns, there will be a confederation consisting of ten kingdoms or kings as we read elsewhere which we'll get to in a minute 
that will be present at the end time, the time when Jesus returns. In another prophecy in Daniel 7, the kingdoms mentioned in Daniel 2 are spoken of as a series of beasts. And in Daniel 7, we break into the context here where Daniel says in verse 19 of Daniel 7, Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast. Now this fourth beast is, is represented in the image that we were reading about in Daniel 2 by the legs of iron and also by the feet of iron and clay. And Daniel wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Until the Ancient of Days came, referring to Jesus Christ, and a judgment was made in the favor of the saints, made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. And he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which will be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arrive, rise from that kingdom. And this is speaking after the collapse of the, of the Roman Empire. <clears throat> and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings, and this is speaking of three kings that were overthrown at the behest of the papacy in the early days of after the collapse of the Roman Empire. In verse 25 it goes on to say, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume it and to destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting dominion and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Now, over a period of approximately 1260 years, the church of God was severely persecuted from about the time of the, toward the end of the Roman Empire and up until perhaps 1700. A.D. or later, and for the most for most of that time, the Church of God was many of the people of the church were killed in persecutions. 
Others had to flee and hide in the mountains and caves and the rocks of the earth to escape persecution. But this also refers to an end-time persecution that will occur right at the end. And, and notice <clears throat> that it says that the saint shall be given to his hand for a time and times and half a time. <clears throat> and at the end of that period, the saints shall be given the kingdoms under the, under the whole heaven, under Jesus Christ. There is coming a period of tribulation which the fourth beast will inflict on the church of God. And this tribulation, as we've already seen, will also affect the nations of Israel, especially, as well as the church of God. And it is the same period that we read earlier, speaking of Jacob's trouble. As we read already in Mark 13 and verse 18 is one of the places where it's referred to that it will be a tribulation such as not been since the beginning of time. And in Jeremiah 30, it will be a day of which there is no comparison in history and it will be the time of Jacob's trouble. This final resurrection of the beast is to last for three and a half years, the same period of time that this tribulation will last. In Revelation 13, beginning with verse 1, John wrote, I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns and, in, and on his horn ten crowns and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion and, a, and the dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and the dead, his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So this is a... a resurrection, so to speak, of this beast power, which is incredibly powerful militarily. And goes on to say he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Now 42 months is three and a half years. And this beast will emerge 
in conjunction with the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation will, will be brought about to a large extent by the military exploits of this beast power, especially against the nations of Israel. In Revelation 17 and verse 8, we see more prophecy along these same lines. John was told the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. <clears throat> and the, the idea here is that this beast will in a sense ascend out of the grave and then go into perdition. But it, it was, and then it was not, and then it was. Meaning that it was an empire that used to exist, that ceased for a while to be uh, present or visible, and then emerged from an abyss or the grave, so to speak. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the beginning, from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. The woman is a church that is dominant over the seven resurrections, so to speak, of this empire. And it's often been referred to down through history as the Holy Roman Empire. These are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. Now these prophecies began to be understood and explained very clearly beginning around the time of World War II when this sixth appearance of this entity, the the, the beast with seven heads, the sixth resurrection was imminent or in existence at that time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and I won't explain that, but it has reference to a prophecy in Daniel, and is of the seven, and is going to into perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. So here are ten kings who receive authority with the beast. In other words, these ten kings are a part of this beast empire. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. This beast power will be driven by Satan the devil through his influence. And he will not only attack the church of God and the people of Israel, but he will want to make war on God himself. 
The ten toes of Daniel 2 are the same as the ten horns of this prophecy in Revelation 17 who give their authority to the beast. There are ten kings who will arise near the end of this age and will yield to the beast in a kind of confederation comprising the final resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire. They will join together with the beast at their head and will form the final resurrection of that empire. And that empire has, over the centuries, been uh, anchored in Europe. It will consist mostly, if not exclusively, of European nations. And they will attack and take captive the remnant of Joseph and others of the tribe of Israel and also persecute the church for three and a half years, the church of God. Germany has been at the heart of the Holy Roman Empire, the various resurrections of the Roman Empire. In fact, Germany was an integral part especially toward the end of the existence of the original Roman Empire. Germany was uh, an integral part of it, at least parts of Germany was. And Germany will be at the core of the resurrected Holy Roman Empire, the beast of Revelation. That will replace the European Union which is beginning to come apart. The exit of Britain from the European Union has been seen by leading politicians as a precursor to the collapse of the European Union as presently configured. Since Britain is one of the main victims or is to be one of the main victims of the beast during the tribulation, being taken into slavery under its subjugation in war, Britain could not be one of its member states at the time of the beginning of the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Sooner or later for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, Britain would have to have become separated from a union of continental nations comprising the final European Union. It's leaving the European Union helps set the stage for the prophecies of the end time to be fulfilled. As I mentioned, Assyria, which means Germany and Austria, will be at the core of the united European state that will dominate the world for a brief time at the end of this age. Primary among the victims of the power spoken of will be Israel, Britain and America, and other nations among them descended from the tribes of Israel. The time of Israel's punishment in captivity will be 
relatively brief but intense. In their captivity, the remnant of Israel will repent and God will intervene to save them. In Isaiah 10 and verse 20, we read, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such have, have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of the land. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian. He shall strike you with a rod and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt for yet a very little while and the indignation will cease as will my anger in their destruction. So Assyria will be used to punish Israel, but then in a relatively short time, God will intervene to save the remnant. Not only will the remnant of Israel be saved by God's intervention, but mankind will be saved from utter destruction, which if God did not intervene would occur. All of mankind would be wiped out. As we read in Matthew 24 and verse 22, unless those days, speaking of the days of the tribulation, were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. After God's kingdom is established on earth, the nations will learn to live in peace at long last. And Christ will be directly ruling the earth to make sure that they do live in peace. We read in Isaiah 2 and verse 2, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the, Lord house, the Lord's house, the mountain of the Lord's house, shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears and pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. No longer will the German-speaking peoples... By the way, the, the word German originally meant war men. I believe it's a Latin word that it comes from which means war men. And they have traditionally been fearsome warriors, very efficient uh, warriors. No longer will the German-speaking peoples in Israel be at odds, however, 
after Christ's return, but all of them will serve God. And all will in turn be blessed by God. And all will be a blessing to the nations of the earth. As we read in Isaiah 19, beginning with verse 23, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing in the midst of the land whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel my inheritance. 